And welcome back, folks, to Teachers in the Wild. I am your illustrious host, Fry, and I'm here with my lackey, Donovan. I am nobody's lackey. You are every. Where... You are definitely my lackey. I don't know where that came from, but I am sure as hell nobody's lackey. Minion, maybe, it's but not definitely, lackey. I, I'm the Dr. Frankenstein. You are Igor. It's great. Wow. It's good. Or you can like be that. the monster. That makes more sense. We're going to start like that, huh? Nonetheless, folks, we're glad to have you back. And tonight we have a great guest. We have John Blaylock of Camp Lakey Gap. Um, he is the camp director there. John, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Yeah, it's okay. Um, everyone includes just my mom. But yeah. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love that. Um, John, can you tell us a little bit about um, your role and um, what Camp Lakey Gap um, does with the outdoors? Sure. So uh, I'm a camp director for a program that serves autistic children and adults exclusively. And that is that is the um, target clientele for Camp Lakey Gap. So my a lot of what I do uh, during the year is recruitment, either of staff and campers. And, and then there's a big sort of fundraising piece because we're we are a nonprofit or we're part of a nonprofit. And uh, currently working on sort of beefing up some of our year round offerings because uh, our program takes place primarily in the summer for about seven weeks, which includes a week of training for staff. And um, what I think the, you know, we, we, we're considered what's uh, known as a residential camp. So what that means is that our camp setting is more like a, conference center than it is a, you know, a, you know, we're not camping in tents and, um, you know, going on long several day excursions, partly because I, I think, uh, lots of our clientele would not be big fans of that. Um, but as, <laughs> just, in a residential, I just got a mental picture of somebody trying to take, cause th- this is, I'm sorry, John, to interrupt you, but this, this camp and, um, the, the premise is near and dear to my heart because I've mentioned, you know, my son is autistic and he actually goes to this camp and you mentioned the, the long excursions. And I just had this mental picture of somebody trying to drag Gabriel through the woods for three days straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it might be tough. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but just that mental picture popped in my head. And, uh, sorry. No, and it's, it's, it's funny. Um, because, uh, you know, Gabriel's a very memorable, a memorable camper because he's he's full of energy and full of, of funny catchphrases. Yeah, um, he is. So it's he's he. I, I can also get that mental image. <laughs> <laughs> Be like trying to bring Fry through the woods for three days. Hey, I wouldn't be as witty as Gabriel. He's he would last longer than me, and he would. Uh, be more entertaining as a, a companion for sure. So, so the um, so the component that we that we have that's that's outdoors uh, primarily consists of planned outdoor activities, and our our camp is located in Black Mountain, North Carolina, which is I think in uh, by some definitions equivalent to uh, temperate rainforest. So we we have a lot of 
a lot of green and we have a lot of moisture and water and um, several hiking trails that go up through the mountains in Western North Carolina, which is a fantastic backdrop for, for the camp program. That, that sounds beautiful. I can imagine that that's just a really wonderful place to be able to go in and out of. Um, I, I'm a com- I like camping, but to be able to enjoy um, having that pure activity and then we have comfortable air conditioning and um, inside activities as well, um, I feel like that for some people, it could definitely make that more accessible. Um, how many clients do you see in the summer um, with adults and uh, children? Total, we are able to serve between 80 and 90 campers for the summer, um, which is not a huge number, really. And, and we are kind of at capacity as is. We're looking towards the future for, for building capacity in terms of space and uh, for, for lodging and for activities. But right now, uh, over the course of six camp weeks, we serve about 80 to 90 campers. and Two-thirds of those campers are adults, 18 and older, because we have two weeks that are specified for that group. Uh, Two weeks of the summer are for children aged 4 to 11, and two weeks are for children ages 12 to 17. Wow. That um, gives a really interesting experience. I'm sure the energy level changes, or is it uh, about the same? Everybody's really excited to be there. (laughs) Oh, no. The energy level does change. and the it's 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 such a diverse population in terms of interest and aptitude and oftentimes i think the the younger kids group is is probably the most high energy uh and probably sleeps the least oh my goodness and, uh, the uh <laughs> the older group is sometimes uh high energy in different ways but at least it, Usually by the time they're in their 20s, um, a lot, most of our campers are sleeping through the night, which is a, which is a nice thing. Uh, I imagine um, we're doing a lot of imagining tonight, but, but just the kids camp, I'm in the middle of the night hearing something and as a camp counselor being like startled awake and is it an animal? No, it's just a six-year-old boy coming to wake you up and say like, hey, I need to get you see the bathroom, or I want to tell you a story. And right. when I was a camp counselor, uh, that would happen frequently, but um, I can't imagine multiplying that um, over a couple of weeks. So no, the, uh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I, I think the um, what's it's interesting too that <clears throat> the way that the the way that the overnight situation works is we have, we rotate uh, three counseling staff plus an activity director throughout the summer. So each week we have three dedicated uh, third shift staff who stay in the cabin and who are awake staff because the needs of some of our campers require that someone be available through all hours of the day. Um, So our our group lodge where the campers stay is on the other side of campus right now from where the staff are staying and from where I stay. 
And there are sometimes in the middle of the night, depending on the mix of campers, where you'll hear strange noises from far off and have that same question. Is that an animal or is that our, our cabin? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes if it's, if, if we can determine it's an animal, that's, that's almost better because we can, then we don't have to go rushing over to the cabin to figure out what's going on. Oh, is it Johnny? No, it's a bear. Oh, no problem. <laughs> uh, so, um, do you, what is, um, can you kind of give us a little, I guess you could say a history of the camp. When did it start? Sure. How long has it been around? Cause I know, you know, my son's been going for probably three, four years now, but it's been around longer than that. Yeah. So it started actually as an offshoot. Um, the history of the sort of autism camp in North Carolina sort of follows, uh, at least Camp Lakey Gap is part of a bloodline that goes back to the Autism Society of North Carolina in the eastern part of the state. It started a, a man named Greg Beck started a program called Camp New Hope, which became Camp Royal. Uh, camp Royal is the Autism Society camp in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And then in, in about 1999, I think, or 1998, um, I can't remember what year that started. So, uh, but I, I know in in 1998 they started a Western satellite camp of Camp Royal in Black Mountain. And so from 1998 until about 2008, uh, the camp was run by the Autism Society of North Carolina. And it was called Mountain Adventure Camp. And then in 2008, amid the uh, amid everything else that this country was going through in terms of uh, financial crises, the uh, funding for Mountain Adventure Camp at that time was cut. And what happened was the conference center that that the Autism Society had been renting is called Christ Mount uh, Conference Center, Christ Mount Assembly. And the board of this conference center, which is a nonprofit, had become used to hearing about and seeing the work of Mountain Adventure Camp and decided unanimously in the face of you know, everything that was going on financially in the country and their own budget shortfalls decided unanimously to take on the administration of the camp. And so from that point on, from 2008 until present, it's been Camp Lakey Gap. And Lakey Gap is actually a geological feature. You know, I guess there's passes and gaps and, and uh, peaks and those sorts of things if you look at a topographical map. So Lakey Gap is a topographical feature in the area, and I guess that's where they pulled the name. And so since then, it's been operated uh, as a subsidiary of Christmount, the conference center. And I actually came on board two years ago in January of 2017 as the camp director, uh, even though I actually got my start working in full-time summer camp and working with autistic clients when it was Mountain Adventure Camp in the uh, early 2000s. Did I lose you? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's a lot to take in because, um, you know, I'm familiar with both both organizations. I know how strapped the Autism Society can be for cash. So it's um, it's kind of an interesting pedigree, I guess. Small world, maybe. Yeah, and, you know, and they do a lot of good work. Um, 
and and uh, you know, currently, even currently, I got a, a email from the Autism Society that was you know sort of reaching out to uh, families affected by the hurricane. Um, you know, because what's you know take take the experience of of going through evacuating your home and and looking at you know sort of catastrophic flood damage around you and add to that experience having a uh, a child or dependent with autism and uh it could be pretty harrowing i think yeah i i can't even begin to imagine it i mean my kid freaks out when he doesn't have an ipad to play with i can imagine what no power for four five six seven days or weeks would do right and that sort of goes back to what we were talking about with the residential camp model is that a lot of those uh, a lot of the creature comforts that are afforded by by having you know electricity and indoor plumbing are um, you know sort of things that anything that we can do to keep folks comfortable allows us to do a little bit more in terms of, of programming uh, that's beyond what folks are used to because one of the I guess um, one of the defining characteristics of, of autism is, having a preference for sameness or routine. And so already, simply by having campers away from home and in a different environment, we're sort of throwing them off their game. So the more that we can keep things consistent, um, you know, allowing them access to some of their favorite materials and toys and activities, that sort of gives us a little bit of room to try and be more adventurous with some of our activities. Because I think some of the folks if they didn't have any of those things, they would be much less willing to try something new. I, I can imagine and, and see that being the best option. So that makes me curious about what kind of activities do you um, pr- plan for your clients um, to push them out of that sameness and then test that boundary? So one, one thing that's, I think, unique about our program that I, and I actually think it's, uh, it's an incredible use of, of, a, a strategy and strategies that were developed in North Carolina, actually um, North Carolina uh, in the, in the seventies was a, a very interesting place to be for families of children with autism, because there were some very active parents who not only started the autism society of North Carolina, but also started a program called in, in cooperation with the university of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, started a program called teach with two C's. Um, if anybody's going to be Googling that, but uh, one of the and, and teach itself would be a very interesting topic. Um, but the the probably the the most um, ubiquitous strategy that has been adopted by people that serve autistic clients out of the teach program is something called structured teaching strategies. And structured teaching strategies, in a nutshell, are a group or, or sort of a, a methodology by which you look at a person, uh, a person's strength. In the case of people with autism, it's a visual learning style. And um, you can, you can take that visual learning style and some of the um, preference for sameness and turn that into teaching strategies that actually allow you to teach flexibility. So probably, uh, and this is all going to get back around to your, your question. So um, (laughs) bear with me here, but probably, the, what we do then is we take activities that are traditionally associated with camp, like arts and crafts, nature crafts, uh, hiking, outdoor games, special events, and we apply these structured teaching principles 
to the activities in such a way as to make them accessible to the learning style of a person with autism. And so what that looks like is a lot of our activities have a, a visually structured component. So we use a lot of, uh, for our students that read, we use a lot of writing. For our students that don't read, we use a lot of color coding and um, photographs or line drawings of instructions or, or indications for where to stand for a particular activity. It might be marked, uh, for example, we have a, an outdoor activities group where we have stations that we rotate through, and one of them is sort of like uh, bowling with outdoor bowling equipment. And we'll draw on the, on the concrete there on the blacktop, we'll draw footprints to let the person know where to stand. Um, so that there's an example of a, of, a vis of a modification that we make to the activity to make it more accessible for an autistic learning style. So all of our activities have that component. And what's more, we use visual schedules throughout the day. And the schedules allow, uh, the schedules are actually a way to, to sh if you think to, um, here I am, I'm, I'm like getting hung up on my words like you're talking, this will all be edited. <laughs> Maybe, if you're lucky. If you think about, um, uh, so a schedule actually, if you look at a, like a checklist, for example, that's probably the, a checklist is probably the, the version of a schedule that most people can identify with. Most of your listeners can identify with using a checklist when they have a lot of things to do. Now, every time you write a checklist, if you were to take out, if you were to blur all of the words in the checklist, it, every checklist would look basically mm -hmm. the same. It's a, either a box or a dot and, and a word, uh, followed by another box or dot with a word, mm -hmm. etc., on throughout the page, however many items you have. So in a way, that's a, that's a routine way to get information. Um, so when you look at a checklist, you are following a, an established routine. So the, the, thing, the nice thing about that is that you can then use that routine that somebody's familiar with to introduce new ideas or concepts by changing the content of the checklist. So um, instead, of, instead of looking at, you know, blurry words, let's say you, you bring those into focus and, and the checklist is sort of what tells a person the sequence of events. Um, and it, the fact that it is a, a strategy or it's a, a format that the person is used to often helps that person to do something they otherwise would not with just, um, you know, verbal coaxing. You, um... That's actually about the perfect segue. Um, one, I, I actually have a master's degree in special education, and I've never heard about like that teach thing, so I will be Google-fooling it tonight. Um, but that's like the perfect segue into one of the main things I think we wanted to talk to you about was, you know, not everybody's going to have the knowledge or training or however you want to phrase it to, like parents with special need kids, um, that want to get their kids involved in outdoor activities aren't going to have, you know, that kind of, Oh, I guess you could say background knowledge or, or training or however you want to phrase it. Um, how, I, I guess we could start by saying, you know, I, I think a lot of people see like have a, a kid who has a special need as somehow not being as capable, which is by far not the case. 
Um, but how would like, what are some strategies to get, you know, in more of a less structured environment than a camp, but like, let's say a parent wanted to take their kid out for a hike. What are some strategies to start getting their kids involved in outdoor activities? Um, whereas maybe they haven't before. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, well, a lot of that, uh, it depends on it. Obviously it's going to depend on the individual, right? So all of these, all of these things I'm talking about, um, I'm giving you sort of the theoretical framework, but the way that it looks with each individual camper is a little bit different. Um, so that's just sort of a, a caveat that I'm throwing in, um, as I launch into this, um, subject matter, which I think is really interesting. Um, and, 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 and necessary to think about. So if you look at, um, if we're talking specifically about getting, uh, children with autism involved in activity that's novel, novel activity, new to the child. Um, there's a lot of different considerations uh, to, to, to go into play or to, to take into, a lot of things to take into consideration. Uh, one of those things is, has the child shown any aptitude or interest for the activity before? Because um, that's, that's, that'll let you know, you know whether or not you're starting on a greenway or a hiking trail, uh, for example, if we take the example of hiking. Um, and then another thing to consider is what is, what are some, uh, what is some structure, visual structure that makes sense to the child? So it could be that a child, like I said, uses a, a can make sense of a checklist. Um, but for some children that, who don't read, we might use line drawings um, you know, like stick figures that illustrate the same concept as a checklist. So if you look back at the checklist and you think about it as a sequence of events written in words and with blocks next to them, uh, line drawings would be like little boxes with stick figures in them doing the activities that are that you're trying to represent um, or showing different concepts like birds or leaves or things like that. And um, so in that example, um, things that make sense to uh, the autistic learning style. And this, this of course, you know, I'm not a person with autism, so I don't want to be seen as, as it's not as if I can read minds. These are, these are just sort of um, psychological constructs that have been placed together over decades of research. Um, but obviously, you know, probably that each person with autism would be an expert in, in his or her or their own um, life story and what works for them. Um, but, but my understanding of the autistic learning style is, um, that obviously there's a, a preference for order and preference for things that are more concrete versus abstract. So, um, you know, things that are more easily engaged Things that are easier for, for people with autism to engage in are activities that are more concrete and less abstract. So um, a hike, for example, is a good place to start outside because it's actually a pretty concrete activity. You have point A and point B. You're trying to get from point A to point B. It has a set beginning and a set ending. And a lot of times on a trail, what's nice is um, you have the structure of the, the trail itself. And often, you know, if it's walled with trees all the better because it shows the person where to walk because a lot of people with autism that I've met 
uh, are prone to wander. That is so true. Um, so true. So if you if you're in an open space uh, like a greenway, for instance, it may not be as evident where you're supposed to stand, where you're supposed to step, where the, the beginning and, and end is. But if you're on a hiking trail and somebody's behind you, there's pretty much only one way to go, which is forward. Um, so that's that's so it's actually a, a structured activity in itself. But there's ways to even make it more concrete. Say um, you're so one strategy is to add uh, like tick marks or, or, or markers along the path. One thing we do is a sensory hike where we have a checklist, uh, uh, different forms of checklists. Some of them are pictures. Some of them are, are words. Um, but the sensory hike is that as we walk, we have our campers uh, at one point listen for a bird. And when they hear the bird, they add a check to their list of things that they're checking off. And that shows the person that they're, they're actually, it's more than just a walk, they're accomplishing something. There's a, a meaning for the task. It's not just sort of meandering around. The, the purpose of the activity is ultimately to check off all the boxes. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I, I'm fascinated as a teacher because learning, learning styles and pedagogy is what I studied in, in college, but I'm the odd person out. I am not a person with autism i have not studied it um my knowledge of it is my experience um working with students with um who have special needs or um gabriel um so this for me i'm i'm just infatuated with what you're saying it's 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 um it's a whole there's a whole world of it yeah so people ask me um you know, like if I tell them, you know, I have a master's degree in special education, they're like, oh, you know all about autism. I'm like, yeah, I know all about one kind. The rest of it baffles me. I mean, you know, you, you kind of learn over time, you know, being a parent of an autistic kid, what sets that one kid off. But what sets him off could be completely different for, you know, across the board. Well, I guess what's interesting um, is over time, the more people you interact with um, that are autistic, and if, if you have an idea of, if you have a, a basic understanding of the learning style, um, which is something that we that we train our staff to to think about, not only you know our staff training consists of of lectures and hands on activities uh, with actual sort of model campers uh, who are autistic themselves, and and training staff who are local. Uh, experts from various fields, special education teachers, um, counselors, that sort of thing. But a, a component of what we teach to our, our staff, or what we at least introduce, is the idea that a big part of being successful in working with any population, really, is trying to understand the thinking style of that population. And so you, you bring the example of, you know, you know what sets Gabriel off, but for a lot of, you know, for other kids, it's kind of a mystery. But if you think about the learning style, um, and, and we know there, there are things that a lot of people with autism have preference for, preference for sameness, um, you know, whether that's doing the activities in a similar order or, um, you know, doing them with a certain, uh, a certain person or, there, you know, there's sensory issues. That's another issue. There's communication issues that, that come up in this population and there's social issues that come up in this population. And so if you look at the behavior, the specific behavior that sets Gabriel off, for example, 
probably falls, my guess, it probably falls in one of those categories. And, and so you start to build a sort of repertoire of, of, okay, so I know this specific thing sets this specific camper off. Why is that? Well, it, it's because he's, because he's out of routine. Okay, so there, there's an experience you have of a person being out of routine and, and, and being, um, you know, uncomfortable. And so then you work with another student and something sets him off. It looks very different. But when you start to break it down and categorize it, it might go in that same category. And from there, you start to understand, okay, well, these are some, even though the specifics of the situation are different, a lot of what's underlying the, the stress response is coming from the same place cognitively. And so then you start to build a, a repertoire of strategies from repeated experience, or at least you sort of get a, you, you start to get a sense of this is what I could do potentially, or, you know, as, as everybody's mother or grandmother said, a, a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so if you can be proactive and say, well, this is something I know that's set off all these other campers in the past. Uh, this is something that we can, we can adapt for on the front end, and then we won't have campers who are upset. Yeah. And I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, in a lot of ways, what you're saying is very true. It's always going to fall, or I'm not going to say always, but you know, there are certain, when you stop and think about it, there are certain, I guess you'd say, categorical triggers. It's just sometimes figuring out exactly what that trigger is, is where I get, you know, kind of lost with students sometimes. Um, and, and you were, it's interesting. You were mentioning, you know, the idea of like uh, the sensory hike. I had never even like that thought had never even crossed my mind and it yeah. really should have <laughs> I'm kind of kicking myself now. I am thinking of the, the checklist that I would make um, for my students um, if they were to go on a, a sensory hike and what activities and what new exposures I could put to it. And um, I, I, it just changed how I look at the outdoors and how I can um, experience that for myself, as well as how I see the learning style of the, um, of uh, someone with autism. So um, I think I, I'm just very interested by it. And the notion that that hadn't come to your mind, uh, Donovan, it baffles me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, w with with Gabriel, um, for me, it was really start small and try not to, I guess, for lack of a better term, prolong the gratification. Um, and when I think of it in, the, in terms of like the checklist idea, it makes sense because you can kind of structure it. Let's, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to hit this goal, this goal, this goal. And for instance, like... Um, you know, I take him fishing now and he's actually, he really enjoys it, but he's like any other kid. He doesn't enjoy it when nothing's happening. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and we haven't quite mastered uh, the cast yet because I don't know. I just have this weird fear of him waving a stick with a hook in the end of it. Um, Papa, here's a new but, uh, piercing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but that kid, like, if you actually hook the fish and let him reel it in that, that sort of like quick gratification of that 
man, he gets so happy. I mean, he's reeling in like, you know, bait size fish, like size of your finger. And he's like, I just accomplished everything I ever wanted in my life. He's laughing. Um, so I think there's also something to be said for um, starting small and setting small goals that can be easily met. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that goes back to the teaching principle that mm-hmm. success begets success. You know, if you, if you want someone to, um, you know, especially with a lot of our kids, you know, we, we, we set a target um, in terms of activity participation. We don't insist that everybody attend all of every activity. And that's one of the reasons why we have mostly one-to-one support is because we know that there are going to be folks who, uh, for reasons related to their thinking style, are just not going to be able to, to maintain attention, interest, or comfort for the duration of entire an entire activity um, and or the activity may not, you know, entirely make sense to a person. So we think about each camper and uh, we think about what's going to make this activity successful um, so that they leave uh, while they're still enjoying it. Because um, that's another thing, the principle for sort of rec- just a recreation principle. My background is in recreation therapy. Uh, but when you're when you're engaging in an activity that is designed for enjoyment, you want to stop it sort of at the peak of enjoyment. Um, as an instructor or as a facilitator, because that way people leave with the feeling of, oh man, that was so much fun. I'd love to do that again. Versus, oh my God, that was a slog at the end. I, I, I can't imagine ever doing that so again. We will always leave them wanting more. It's kind of that showbiz, showbiz thing. Exactly. The Costanza, there you go. The uh, I'm curious, what activity... Um, do you feel you see the most um, enjoyment out of um, for, I guess, each group of campers um, traditionally, if there is a trend? Um, It just, it's, it so much depends on the group. I mean, I'd say um, we, we are very fortunate uh, that we have a swimming pool that we use a lot. Swimming is a very popular activity. Um, there's just a lot going on there for uh, sensory experience. Um, and then um, just the, the sensation I think of swimming is, is a very, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a very interesting thing in, in general, not just for people with autism, but if you were to sort of break down the, the sensation of, of swimming for yourself. It's a, it's a very Feeling interesting weightless is, is cathartic experience. for a lot of people. Uh, Cause it's the first, it's as close as we can get to zero right. gravity. <laughs> right. And the way that we move and the way that the water moves and the way that the water looks often is, is, is sort of mm-hmm. uh, a visual treat, you know, the way that water splashes. And um, so, so swimming is probably, I'd say by far in terms of an activity that's, that's just something we offer. Now, in terms of activities that we structure, um, I would say that, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of it depends on how well the activity itself is structured more than the activity, the activities that we have that are more structured. Um, and when I say more structured, I mean, there's, there's more, uh, readily accessible visual information, um, there's more uh, reliance on at least some routines that the campers might already have or know. Um, and there's, 
you know, also things that have a, um, a lot of act, a lot of activities happening in sequence versus one long activity. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a, a, a playlist of activities, if you will, um, versus like a, a, a whole, um, you know, like a 20 minute song, you have a playlist of, you know, five, four minute songs. Um, any activity, most of our activities that are structured in that way engage more of the campers for longer periods of time overall and get the, the highest degree of participation. The things that are hardest for our, our activities, our, our, our campers, are the activities that are a little more, um, you know, that are less structured, um, that are, you know, mm. like big group games that last 20 minutes. Uh, those are hard for a lot of our kids and adults. Um, activities that don't have a clear beginning and ending, um, you know, that are, that are less structured in that way, um, are, are harder for the group. Music is another very popular activity. Um, you know, there's, we, we do music activities twice a day. We have a music in motion activity where we, um, incorporate lots of different mini activities into a, a music listening or activity session. And then we have, uh, in the afternoon, we do some camp songs uh, for about a 30-minute block. And, and that's, that's fun, too. I mean, there's, um, there's campers who, you know, they don't necessarily use verbal language to communicate. And you might not hear them say more than five words to you for the whole week. But then, it, you know, at an off moment when they're by themselves um, or sort of off to the side, you might see them. Um, singing a camp song to themselves, and those are sort of profound moments um, where you know that the activity has resonated with them in some way, but they don't have the 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 tools or the compunction necessarily to say, "Hey, I really like this song." But you see them singing it to themselves later on, sort of under their breath, or um, you know that sort of thing. And that's always something that's I've I've found I, uh, satisfying. I actually have a bone to pick with you about the swimming thing. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> oh no um one i have no idea what you guys are talking about because i can't swim um but that being beside the point <laughs> so the first time my son was ever in a pool was at camp unfortunately he did not come away from the knowledge or with the knowledge that every body of water was not a swimming pool so first time i take him right. back from camp we go to this pond to go fishing and I turn my head for three seconds and look back, and he's wasting from the water. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I asked him what he was doing, he said, I'm getting in the pool like at camp. No, that, that's a so, great moment. Oh, wow. It resonated with him, and he wanted to do it again. He, it, re it resonated, <laughs> but I also, I don't swim. And th this is, I'm in a confession time. I don't swim. Because I have a phobia of like large bodies of water, ah. uh, so I'm mm. watching my son, you know, venture out into the briny depths, and I'm like, if he goes much further, I don't know if I'm going to have the, yeah, pretty much, I'm going to throw you a rope, son. And oh pray. goodness, um. why? Are you, <laughs> I I didn't know that you had any chinks in the armor. Um, yep, but I always knew Gabriel was braver than you. <laughs> he, well. Yeah, you know, it stands to reason that he lacks reason sometimes. <laughs> uh, he's he's a little bit of a madman. 
But I uh, wonder where he gets it. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so you know, we've talked with like hiking um, being sort of a you know kind of, you can kind of set goals along hiking because you can do like the tick marks or you know it's got that definitive start and end. Um, I mentioned fishing because you can get that instant gratification, assuming Mother Nature cooperates. Right. I'm going to throw a scenario at you, if I may. And uh, this is partially for my own self-interest. But let's say for something like a longer-term activity like camping, like if you wanted to take, you know, for instance, a 10-year-old with autism, um, not that I know anybody like that, <laughs> and you wanted to take him camping, <laughs> um, and you wanted to take him on an overnight camping trip, what advice would you give? So, um, let's see. Well, you know, the same, the same principles apply, uh, and, you know, just like you use a checklist or a schedule to talk about a day's activity, you can use a, um, you know, we have sort of a, we have what we call it the camp home visual or the camp home board where we have the days, Monday, Tuesday, etc. And then there's a visual, there's a picture on each of the days that says camp. Um, and it's camp, 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 home. And so at the end of the day, we have campers cross off the picture of camp so they can see that actually, you know, like, like a calendar, basically. So you might, you know, one thing to do would, would um, make a two-day calendar and just say, you know, Sunday night, sleep in the woods or sleep in a tent, rather. You got to be very careful. You got to be very literal. You're not, not going to sleep in the woods. You'll sleep in a tent. Um, and then you know, if you do that on Saturday night, then Sunday is home. So you can show him um, that you're go only going to go out for one night. So it's not going to last forever. Because um, I think that when people get into a state of sort of heightened anxiety or stress, um, a lot of people in general, you know, they, they, you sort of get this experience like, oh, my God, when's this ever going to end? Um, and I think that's magnified for a lot of our students with uh, autism. So if they can see that something's going to end, a lot of times that allows them uh, a little bit more space in their head to accommodate for the stress. Cause it's like, okay, well, just like everybody else, I only have to do this for so long um, and then it'll be over. Um, another thing would be to, you know, a lot of camping is just sitting around and waiting is not, and, and that looks a lot like waiting for something and waiting is not a strong suit of many of the autistic clients we have again because it's you know what is waiting exactly i mean what is Forget out. what is sitting around exactly you know you, you just you just you know it's it's you know we we take for granted the idea that you can just be in a setting and you know take a deep breath and say you know some jack handy <laughs> platitudes to yourself and wonder oh this is so amazing i'm so happy to be in the woods uh and that's you know that's not everybody's experience and probably especially not for some of the um, autistic clients I know. Although there are some that I know who are very fond of the outdoors. Uh, one in particular, I'll, you know, you talked earlier about it, like a, a profound experience. Um, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw this in here. Uh, there's a man uh, from the Raleigh area who is in his 50s. And he's been coming to camp as long as I've been coming to camp, which is about 18 years. And um, he... One time we were playing with a ball in the pool and um, the ball went over the fence and into a creek. And 
I said, I'm going to go get the ball. And I said, I, and he, he just blurted out, I'll go with you. And I said, okay. So we go and we get the ball. And I said, thanks for coming with me. And he said, uh, he said, I would take any chance I get to wade in a mountain stream. And um, it was just a profound moment for me because I realized that he, you know, he saw getting the ball as an opportunity to wade in a stream, um, which was something that he, you know, sort of treasured. And it, when you, it's, it's hard to describe. I think teachers, you, t as teachers who are probably listening to this know, um, it's very hard to describe those moments where you feel like you have witnessed a, uh, a moment of either joy with engaging in the world around the student or a moment where a student has a realization um, where you know that you were present. Maybe not, maybe you didn't help to bring it about, or maybe you did, but you're present for the moment where somebody learns something about themselves or about the world. And, and it's such a uh, wonderful thing to be witness to because it's, it's, it's part of the human experience that I think it's buried underneath all of the, um, the humdrum and the stress and the, um, you know, what the pressure that we put on ourselves. And, and sometimes that's the most miraculous thing that I witness in terms of, of nature is the nature of people in, in their environment uh, and the nature of, of the human brain uh, and the various ways that it configures itself and, and the seemingly random ways in which it makes connections. And, and that's one of the more wonderful things about the autistic population is they make connections in ways that I would never make and often are very illuminating to me or, or at least that is a stunning image and um, a perfect um, encapsulation of why I teach those moments of seeing yeah. that autonomy being realized that you that they know something deeper about themselves they're aware of where they're at and what they know and those moments are are incredibly precious and um, thinking about the stories I've heard um, of one of my friends who I, I just made the connection of while you were talking um, has worked at Camp Lakey Gap for a few years. And um, Donovan, I think I knew about Gabriel before I started working with you um, <laughs> because my, my friend Hannah, who was it? Uh, would tell me stories of a, a, a boy named Gabe. And I'm just remembering like this all happened. Um, and her excitement to tell me about this, the, the moments when um, one of her campers, whatever week it was, would open up or share a moment of that discovery and to hear it from other people. And then to have it for yourself is a, it's awe inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, th I think everyone was <laughs> thinking of who was going to talk next. It's like a whose line is it anyway kind of there, moment. <laughs> being off without the props. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, really, what can you say to that, though? I mean, that is really the, those moments are so mm -hmm. fleeting because of how fast everything else moves that you know they kind of wedge themselves in your brain meat 
and you don't really you don't ever really let them mm. let them go you know what i mean i know you you hear them call it like the aha moment and um stuff like that but i think that that phrasing just kind of cheapens it it's just i don't know it, it's kind of like a a reminder of not just why we do what we do, but it's like a, it's a very big reminder on a human level, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking forward to standing in a stream and waiting in it. Yeah. Yeah. Taking those opportunities in life. I mean, I, I, you know, similarly, I, I used to work with a, a young man, um, in a, as a, in a community capacity. So outside of, outside of the camp when I was in college and, um, we, his, his favorite activity was to go for long walks and on these long walks. And this was a man who didn't, he didn't speak uh, at the time. He was a child. Actually, he's grown into a man now, but um, he didn't, he didn't communicate with, with words. Um, and we would walk and, and he would stop every few feet and either uh, and pick up something and drop it and watch it fall. Or uh, his favorite thing was to walk along any waterfront and then pick up, rocks at various positions and throw them in the water. And uh, as the rocks hit the water, he would move his hand in this very unique way that later to me, at looking back on it, it's like he was, it's like his hand was manipulating <laughs> the, the ripples, you know. That sort of uh, <laughs> right. He was using the force. Exactly. And uh, there were times where I would be, um, you know, thinking to myself, like, God, I am bored out of my head because uh, this is this is all we're doing. And then it would occur to me, like, wait a minute, you know, like, this is what we're doing. And 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 this is actually pretty great. I mean, this is a person who is teaching me how to appreciate smaller things in life, how to appreciate the ripples on on water in a way that I would never pay attention to, you know, um, so getting sort of that vicarious enjoyment out of the way that other people experience the world around them is another uh, fascinating and wonderful piece of, of the work that I am fortunate to do. And actually, um, you brought me to another tip with that. And it's something that I think is, um, I'll be honest, it was a little hard for me to do at first. But once you realize it, is it's it's a game changer. Um you know, when you're, when you're working with kids with autism and you're trying to introduce them to something new, I think it's important that the person doing the introducing or, you know, leading the activity or something along those lines, make sure that it's firmly in their head that they're not doing it for themselves. You know, right. as you mentioned, um, you know, at times you'd get bored while you were walking with this kid. And then, you know, it, it just, it dawned on me, you know, I used to get frustrated with, with the kiddo because we'd go out and he'd want to go off and do this and I'd want to go do this. And I start getting, you know, a little irritated and then he'd, he'd get upset. And I, I kind of had to put myself in check and realize that, you know, I'm not bringing him out here for my enjoyment. You know, this is supposed to be for him to introduce him to something new and I need to take a step back. And that really, really smoothed the way for a lot of things. And I mean, now he's... He's getting a little uncontrollable, man. He's, he's <laughs> wanting to be Davy Crockett or something. I've uh, I've kind of created a monster. Well, and it, it leads to like a, a broader yeah. sort of philosophical lesson in life, I guess, if we're going to keep expanding. Like we uh, said, the universe we, we just venture off. Um, which is uh, <laughs> that, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, you know, the, when I am at a place where I can bring to mind that my job is to be of service, whether that's, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, and in a, in a camp setting or a teaching setting, um, or even in a parenting setting, uh, being of service sometimes looks like, you know, putting the child or the camper's interests in front of my own and trying to facilitate uh, interaction with the world. Um, when I can put myself in a mindset of being of service, a lot of times it, it, it immediately puts all those sort of self-centered thoughts about my experience and my boredom and, and my, you know, what am I getting out of this? Um, it pushes that to the back and, and really brings me to a, a much better place in my head and in the world around me. And that's something, I mean, that doesn't just apply to, mm-hmm. you know, to parenting or that, that applies to everything. Um, you know, right. I'm actually working on, um, I'm working on my doctorate right now. Um, and one of the, one of the classes I had to take was a leadership class. And they actually talked about, there's a style of leadership that's called service leadership. And the whole premise behind it is that idea of what can I do for you? Um, and, and they've actually, you know, the studies have shown that that kind of leadership is actually extremely positive and motivating um, stakeholders and, you know, people that are involved in whatever goal it is you're trying to accomplish to engage that goal more because they don't see it as you're being dictated. They see it as you're somebody who needs help and it brings out something that makes them just seem to engage it so much more. <laughs> right. But does knowing that make us more mockable? <laughs> Are we just subtly manipulating everyone? Yes, this is all about you, but in the end it's all about me. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that, but I mean, it's not, I, no, I, know. I, I no. wouldn't say that, but I also wouldn't not say that I'd prefer to be feared rather than loved. I mean, Right. Well, you know, and in the end, I mean, I think it's okay to know that that doing good works makes a person feel good Um, and and achieving goals, um, you know, makes a person, uh, you know, feel accomplished. And those are that's part of the human experience. And again, that's um, and that's a lot of what we're trying to do with our campers, you know, so everything it's like this giant circle of of, Machiavellian kindness, you know. (laughs) <laughs> that was beautiful right. yeah this, uh, oh, wow uh, yes i was oh, waiting yeah. and it was disney it's perfect uh excellent i mean yeah Fr- fry's broken into a few dance numbers but you know we're audio so that doesn't really do much for us right well and i was I was, I was thinking about that, too, when I'm talking about these visual strategies. And I would encourage people that are listening to look up structured teaching um, because seeing it is going to make so much more sense than listening to me describe it. It's almost like a, it's an exercise in, in my own limitation when I try to describe some of the strategies um, that, I'm, that are visual. You know, like the, the best way yes. to, to describe it is to show it. And I feel as a teacher that I... I did a disservice because we didn't say that, you know, you should look this up um, earlier. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's just, it makes me hurt as a teacher inside. And 
also makes you realize that it's the fourth <laughs> week of school and we're we're pushing through folks we are um it's it's getting hard don't worry within within a few more weeks you know somebody's gonna come up miss fry i don't know how to do this here's the dictionary <laughs> just yeah no uh i ha- go look it up somewhere i have so many alone. dictionaries in my room just so kids can't um to use their phones to look it up do it the old-fashioned way if it's not there it's not a word <laughs> ah, you, you really mm. want to throw them for a loop hand mcclingon dictionary which funny side note i Why? actually taught my kids some klingon is that a funny side note or a sad side yeah note? I, w- so, I was wondering the same thing because- <laughs> boom roasted don't don't judge me on my nerddom. Uh, yes. Sick burn, bro. Yeah. Wow. Now, now I'm getting ganged uh, up on again. I'm not your whipping boy. Whoa, <laughs> brought it back. <laughs> That's why you've been avoiding me for the last week and a half. I actually think Klingon <laughs> is a... Uh, is, uh, uh, as valid a language as Latin, if not uh, more. Who now teaches French. Yeah, very true. Very true. And we're going to go tell that to no, our Latin I, teacher tomorrow. Who would He would probably agree if you've seen the Star Wars collectibles in his classroom. Maybe he could slip some Klingon in with the Latin. They'd never know the difference. Oh, I would so do that. But there there really is nothing funnier than watching my kid run around the house yelling kapla at the top <laughs> of his lungs. <laughs> I just think of Sheldon Cooper. Um, because of that, but on a, a side note, you just took a jab at Hefner and his room is not covered in Star Trek. It's covered in Star Wars memorabilia. And I'm definitely telling him tomorrow because I know he's not listening. Yes. Um, um, Klingon uh, is not Star Wars. Wars. You're talking to somebody who knows Star Klingon. Trek. I'm aware of that. Uh, yeah. I Beam me up, Scotty. He's up out my nerd area. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I am. All right. So we've gone from talking about like all these utterly fascinating and really deep topics to arguing about Klingon. (laughs) Oh, the places you will go. Man, we keep this up. There's a future for. Absolutely. We keep this up. There's a future for us on public access. (laughs) Spin the story any way you want it. Get the, the audio version of Ferns. Ooh. <laughs> was that a reference to Zach Galifianakis's Between Two um, Th- oh, Ferns? Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> John, you just became one of my new favorite people. <laughs> two Ferns is some quality stuff. Oh, yeah. Have you never seen it, Donovan? Oh, wow. And, and this. No, I've seen it. It's just funny because Zach Galifianakis is from, I think, Asheville area. So yeah, we're just we're tying everything right back. It's like, it's- oh, right back together. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <gasps> Zach Galifianakis, if you're listening, I, we will so interview you. Um, between two audio ferns. Between two ferns. <laughs> <laughs> if if, Zach, if, if yes. Galifianakis is listening, we're going to do a live on you location hear, and we're just going to go camping. You can almost hear the fake leaves not rustling in the back. <laughs> Uh, no. We're gonna have to get equipment to go out to the uh, the trail we went to uh, a couple last week or two weeks ago because there were ferns everywhere. Yeah, it was it was some Jurassic Park type stuff. 
Uh, no, do not do okay. your dinosaur impression. Do not. Uh, was, and we just lost five followers on Instagram with that, that was, sound. That was wholly unnecessary. It was. But anyway, um, now that we've gotten thoroughly off topic with this tangent, um, John, um, everything about Camp Lakey Gap and what you do there um, is phenomenal and just far more in depth than I could ever think a camp could provide in a service. And I, I'm curious of a, a fun story. I know that you have profound stories and those were beautiful moments we got to hear. I, I want to hear a funny story. It could be um, something that you had experienced or it could be something that you're, um, one of your counselors or a camper, but um, a just a fun <laughs> experience that you had at camp. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, a lot of my experiences in different settings sort of run together. Um, so I'm trying to think. And to be uh, fair, I mean, I, I've, I have seen you at camp with my own two peepers. Um, once your entourage passes... I mean, I will say this. John is a hard-working dude. I mean, he is all over the place. Um, and I've only seen him on the final day. So, yeah, I got to give kudos to that. Um, I appreciate that. I, I just remember seeing you at the uh, when I picked Gabriel up from the talent show, and you were – I've seen, like, pinball machines with less motion than you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's – yeah, that's uh, that's an, an adaptation for a scattered brain. <laughs> If I did better planning, I would probably be able to stay in one place. It's not that you have a whole lot to do. It's that you have three things to do. You're just at different stages constantly. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so, um, fun, fun, funny camp story. Um, gosh, I feel terrible that I can't, I'm not like coming up with one. Oh, um, no, it's okay. I'm not funny, so I never think of anything. Well, hey, let's, let's not go too far here. <laughs> it, it's because there's so many good stories, right? That's right, because there are so many. Oh, um, I. I mean, we're I was not saying you could never book, be worse to me with thinking about them. Uh man, you know, I, I guess um, people. A lot of it has to do with um, some of the things um, people say um, that are, you know. Um, not always one of the 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 things about um uh the autistic thinking style is is that um a lot of people i know that are autistic um don't always have the best um filter regulation when it comes to sort of social couth <laughs> um and that that uh you know, on, on some levels, it can be seen as a, uh, a deficit. Um, but on other levels, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's always refreshing to hear someone tell it exactly like it is mm -hmm. uh, without a filter. And, um, you know, I had a student one time that I was working with, and um, I was sitting across the table from him, and I was working on an activity with him. And he said, um, he said, could you, 
could you say that again and, and lean closer? And so I, I was thinking to myself, you know, he's really into this, you know, he's really into this activity. And so I leaned closer and I said it again. And then he took this deep breath. He said, Oh, your breath is off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had this, the goofiest smile on his face. And, um, he, you know, I thought to myself, well, I guess, I guess I know now. So uh, I'm that guy from the mouth of babes. I'm I'm Mr. Ash. I never wanted to be the teacher with that. Here I am. Actually, it reminds me of um, Fried. You remember when we were talking to Jake, and he was he he was uh, he was a fishing guide we interviewed, and he was talking about this client he had that he took on a salmon fishing trip, and um, they were on the ocean, and the guy asked him how high above sea level they were, and didn't get it when he explained to him that we're on the ocean right now. We're at sea level. Yeah. Because we and are the guy was like, on. The, the guy was like, but yeah, but how far above sea level are we? And he finally was like, we're at zero above sea level because we're on the freaking ocean right now. <laughs> I also had a camper, um, a camper one time. It's all coming back to me. I had a camper one time. Tell me, um, you know, the song Little Bunny Foo Foo. Yes. Um, and if you don't know the song, I'm not going to not going to torture you. Um, but. In the song, Little Bunny Foo Foo, you know, therein lies a, a little bunny who is... Scrapesing through the um, forest. Scrapesing through the forest, picking up field mice and bopping them on the head. And um, <laughs> Such a dark song. I know. I had, well, this, I had a camper explain to me that what Bunny Foo Foo was engaging in was technically battery. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That he was on bad behavior and what he was doing was battery. I, yeah. And uh, I thought to myself, wow, you know, I mean, camp songs in general are pretty dark. I mean, lots of animals die. <laughs> Sometimes um, it's about the plague. Yeah, people get the plague and it's, it's just a very, it's a very dark place, really. But it's all sung so cheerily that. That uh, kind of makes up for uh, it. Yeah. Oh, and then pla man. sometimes plankton has uranium. Uh, <laughs> that a SpongeBob yes, reference? it was to the to the campfire song. Uh, well, it wasn't to the campfire song song, but it was to F is for friends. Uh huh. Yes. The campfire song song has has become a, a popular song at Camp Lake. Ah, yeah. It was not a popular song when I was at camp. <laughs> No. Okay. Oh, I think, wow. Well, I admire um, what you all are, are doing in the sense that, um, you know, it's sort of meta in a way. Your, your teachers who are teaching teachers um, through your podcast. Although I, I'm putting words in their mouth now, listeners. It's not, I, I don't. Want oh, to no, you're, you're like, 100% uh, correct. <laughs> you guys are, uh, don't think you're you know, grandiose in that way. But I think that that's a big part of what um, a, a purpose of this podcast. And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier, Donovan is, um, you know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to use a, a checklist for a sensory hike in the, in the woods. Well, you know, that goes back to the saying that you don't know what you don't know. It's very true. And um, so if anything, this um, uh, exposure to to your your listeners about some potential places to look for strategies or, or you know ideas to try, um, and hopefully that sets people on the path because I think ultimately you know Camp Leaky Gap 
is a, a wonderful program, uh, if I do say so myself. No, I definitely agree. I can't speak highly enough of it. I mean, every year is better than the year before. The staff is – every one of his counselors has been absolutely amazing. Um, and I'm going to give a little shout-out to the person that introduced us to it, which is McAllister. She's freaking amazing. Oh, yeah, McAllister Griner. She's amazing. I know McAllister. She – yeah, she's she's a huge uh, proponent and and uh, a big uh, big influence on a lot of our, our families and staff. And um, I'm I'm grateful that she got involved in camp because there's a lot of a lot of people that are involved in a lot in a lot of ways that wouldn't be without her. So yeah, she is a just all around beautiful, wonderful human being. And you know, somebody needs to build a monument to her. Not me because I'm poor, but well, you know, somebody should. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ready to yeah. nominate you. I say Fry. Um, I mean, I've got a kid. She doesn't. I, I worked with McAllister in, at a camp when we were in high school. Um, college. She, I think she was in college. Um, but um, it, it's been a while since I've talked to her, so it might be a little weird um, <laughs> for me to raise a monument. But definitely on board with this. Um I, but John, you were saying, um, well, I think that the, um, you know, ultimately what I would like to see in the future is that these strategies become, you know, sort of more, more prevalent and more common knowledge, because I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, creating this kind of structure doesn't it requires some forethought and it requires some, some planning and, and action. Um, but it's not a huge ask for facilitators to think of ways to make activities more concrete. And I think the more people that do that in, in the general public at places like the YMCA or the JCC or, um, you know, any, you know, local, um, community recreation programs, the more that they are made aware of these sorts of strategies, the more inclusive they will be of different kinds of learners. And Camp Lakey Gap will not sort of be this island in the in the middle of the southeast. Um, it'll be one of many programs that can accommodate for the growing number of children and, and adults with autism in our society that are, you know, valid and and beautiful members of of our. Um, our, our communities and our country and our world and uh, that that want engagement uh, and and uh, seek out relationships uh, and friendships to a certain level just like the rest of us do and that's where and that's what um, you know when I think about the big picture goals of, of, of Camp Lakey Gap and and just you know sort of camp programs or recreation programs in general it's not about the silly games or the the goofy songs it's about the connections the the games and the songs are, are sort of uh you know the 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 method but in the end you know what the the big result what i really enjoy seeing is when one human makes a genuine connection with another human um and and having those you know, like when, when um, Gabriel connects with his counselor or another camper in a way that, um, you know, I know is that he's, you know, sort of grown to, to know or, or learn something about another uh, camper or another counselor during the week. That's always a neat thing to see because it's like, well, you know, we've just created another link in a community of people. Um, 
and and that's just you know that's sort of what I think that's a big part of what what camp and recreation is about. I I definitely think that you summed up um, one aspect of what we um, do with um, with that and the other part of what we do and what you said earlier was that when you were um, having that profound moment with that um, young boy who was um, mimicking the ripples in the water is that you got to see human reaction to nature and how human nature um, was fascinating because you got to connect with that person um, and see it through their perspective. And the, the application to nature and making that experience um, I don't want to say available because I feel like it's always been available to people with autism nature, but making it accessible to them by saying, I, you, you have to connect with them first. I see that human nature and that it's, it can exist if you just look through a different set of eyes and then that appreciation of nature comes with it as well. Um, and I think everything that like Camp Lake Gap does and that you and your staff are doing is is phenomenal. And I thank you so very much for it. Yeah, well, of thank course. you for having me. It was uh, it was completely our pleasure. Um, and I mean, yeah, as uh, on a personal note, thank you again for everything you've done for my kiddo. Yeah, well, that's my pleasure. Um, that's, like I was saying, you know, like this, this is the kind of work um, that I, I feel fortunate to have found in my life uh, because I, um, I truly, you know, it's that old cliche of I'm sure I get more out of it than they do, but I'm, I think I'm, I'm being honest in that in terms of my own, uh, my own experience that that being a part of this program and knowing children like Gabriel and and, and many of the other people that I have gotten to see. Um, it just gives me so much, it, there's, there's such a neat perspective on the world that I, I have gained from um, trying to take other people's perspective and looking at it from the perspective of people with unique minds. Um, so it's the pleasure is all mine. Um, I, I think I'm okay in speaking for Fry on this, but if there's anything that you know we can do this this little podcast and our you know six maybe five now listeners after some of fry's jokes <laughs> um but if there's anything we can do you know moving forward to kind of help out the camp please don't hesitate to get in touch oh yeah no for sure um we we do run several um charity events throughout the year um that are aimed at supporting our scholarship fund uh because as you know um the camp is expensive and um, part of that is because of the, the ratio that we have of um, students to staff. So the traditional camp, you might have one staff for every eight campers. But for our, our, our camp, we have one staff for every one camper. Um, and so that's part of what drives the cost. Um, but we try to make that accessible and attainable through our scholarship fund. Um, so if you keep an eye on the Camp Leaky Gap Facebook page, and our website, uh, CampLakeyGap.org, L-A-K-E-Y, Lakey, um, then, you know, that'd be a, a good place to check up on the, some of our fundraising efforts on behalf of our campers. 
uh, and we are a nonprofit. So all of the, the money that we raise goes straight back into the program and, and back into supporting the people uh, in our communities that, that want to have access and to it, the service. It really is a good program. I mean, I, I can't speak highly of it enough. And yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it can be a little expensive, but it, it's money well spent. I mean, you get what you pay for in spades. So I can't recommend it enough. Um, and I mean, there's really nothing more to say to it than that, than it is so worth it. But sadly, we are running slim on time. I know. Um, so sad. So I will, I will switch it over here. Um, Fry, do you have any parting words for the, the, uh, the teeming masses that are tuning in? Uh, yes. The, plethora of countrymen that are joining us and have been with us because this is a grassroots movement. <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget the friends and the Romans. Yes, the friends and the Romans, um, all of you. Um, this this week um, we're recording and um, we'll be posting this on Instagram as well. Um, Hurricane Florence um, hit the Carolinas um, and has affected a large portion of the uh, of North Carolina and South Carolina, and especially in the East. Um, and so what we're doing is um, spreading the word of where you can reach out to. Um, I'm going to um, put to the American Red Cross um, because of losing power out in Eastern parts of North Carolina and South Carolina, the hospitals had to run on generators and some of that blood has gone bad. So if you can donate, um, in your local blood drive, please do so, as well as seek out um, Salvation Army or local churches um, to donate, um, preser um, preservatives and um, food and water um, and toiletries and clothes for the people who have lost everything. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of local... Um local schools across the state are jumping on board with um, collections and stuff like that. So that's another resource to look at. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when we say, you know, the East got hammered, it's, it's legit. The city of Wilmington, the last I heard was pretty much completely inaccessible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's Mordor right now. And one Isengard, Isengard, <laughs> do not get <laughs> no, that because, wrong, sir. <laughs> no, you can't walk into Wilmington right now, just like you can't walk into Mordor. But they did. Isengard Unless was you're flooded. <sighs> Unless you're Sean Bean. <sighs> Sean Bean See, didn't, I was working... didn't even walk into Mordor. He was shot in the first movie. Never mind. We're not going to get into that. I was trying to work towards a Sean Bean like, shout out here, and you're shutting me down. I'm I saying... know he didn't make it to Mordor, but it's Sean Bean. Okay? <laughs> Any chance we get to make a Sean Bean shout out... We take it. It's like six degrees of Sean Bean because he was in the movie. Okay. Fine. Step off. I'm sorry you had to hear this, John. <laughs> we were all serious for a second and then you had to go and ruin it, Donovan. But anyway, folks. Sean Bean ruins nothing. Definitely um, take the time and um, seek out your local. Um, hurricane relief um, fund um, or organization, that would be what I suggest to do this week. And I'm going to concur with mm -hmm. that. Um, 
like I said, though, high schools, um, schools in general, you know, a lot of kids bring home folders and those folders have announcements in them. Check those folders, parents. Yes, indeed. Should be doing it anyway, but do it more so now. And the other thing I would and... say is be looking out for those charity um, events that Camp Lake Yap is going to host uh, or um, have throughout this the year. And if you can donate, um, please do. Because I know what I will be doing with one of my checks for sure. Because... And, uh, awesome. and John needs poison testers. Uh, okay, that was very quick and very soft. I don't think we got the joke. Oh, I said John needs more poison testers. Uh, yes, so you, you're that. you're going to lose your job soon. So, uh, <laughs> folks, thank you for joining us tonight. Our guest tonight was John Blaylock of Camp Lakey Gap, Camp Director. John, thank you so, so very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And folks, stay wild, my friends. And tune in next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs>